Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. Hello, my name is Jerry Scullion and welcome to Bringing Design Closer, which is part of the This Is Hate CD network. I'm a service design practitioner and trainer based in Dublin City, Ireland. Bringing design into organisations is hardly ever straightforward. It comes with its own unique set of problems. In Bringing Design Closer, the podcast, we discuss with thought leaders around the world what has worked for them in enabling design revolutions to occur. Today in the show, we caught up with Georgie Smallwood, CPO at N26, the Berlin-based challenger bank, on a mission to become the world's first global bank. I caught up with Georgie whilst leading the product conference in Stockholm and had a brilliant time speaking about all things fintech, product and service design. But in this episode, we chat really openly about the role design plays at N26 and the challenges they face as they scale. Founded only in 2013, they had the luxury of a really progressive and futurist mindset of not just improving their service, but the constant pressure of adapting to meet the needs of their customer. For regular listeners of the show, we return to the roots of a regular topic of trust, and we explore what this means to both Georgie and N26, and how even at the macular level of design, it's being considered at N26. So anyway, let's just get straight to it. Georgie Smallwood, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. Thanks, Jerry. It's great to be here. Delighted to have you. So today we've been catching up about a lot of stuff, mainly around design and your role as CPO at N26. Yep. The biggest challenger bank in Europe. Is that right? That's correct. Let's start off. You're an Australian. You can hear that voice straight away. So all the Australian listeners will be like, you know, roaring and they'll be all cheering for (laughs) an Aussie in Berlin and in Germany and the challenger banks. Let's start off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be in your role at N26. Sure. Well, I am a Melbourne girl, definitely a Melbourne girl at heart as well. Grew up, went to Melbourne Girls College. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Big up to the Melbourne Girls College. Big up. (laughs) And I was really lucky early in my career. Did a couple of random things and then I fell into a role at realestate.com.au. Yeah. In 2008. Right. I was right at the in the crux of the global financial crisis, yeah. which was like a cash cow yeah. <laughs> for REA. Absolutely. Um, post the iPhone though. Post the iPhone, yeah. But, you know, people were trying to sell their houses. Yeah. It was great from a classifieds perspective and a depth perspective. It's not a gr- not for a good reason. Yeah. But, you know, try and see a silver lining. And uh, we were had gone public by then. So yeah. we, we were a publicly listed company, just scaling astronomically. And I joined the media team. I was 24. Yeah. And I was a media coordinator. I think the the media team was writing about 10 million a year at that time. And we were six. Yeah. There were six of us. So from REA, you went on to... I had a couple of jump arounds, actually. I, I left REA after five years. I then went back three months later. Because right. they asked to move, my husband and I, to move to Asia. Yeah. To work on the Hong Kong business. Nice. And also set up the Chinese business for them. Yeah. So you've got a massive like background and experience. We spoke earlier about roles in fintech 
and consulting and stuff. And, and now you're in Berlin. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about what your role is in, in N26. So my role is I look after the design team, the product team and the portfolio team globally. Yeah. Um, so at the moment we're about 60, 65. Right. And work really closely with the CTO and the engineering side of the business. Yeah. And we really set the strategy for what we're going to be doing for the next year, two years, yeah. as far as N26 is concerned. So a global bank, talk to me. Yeah. Because like I've, I've never heard of anyone at a global bank, so surely that's not straightforward. No, there's a reason why you haven't heard of them before, because they're really hard. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because we're a bank and a tech platform, which sometimes can be... Some days we're more bank, some days we're more tech. <laughs> and depending, depending who's in the room. That's right. Yeah. And depending on what's going on at the time. Yeah. You know, from a tech perspective, we have a really modern tech stack, which means mm. that we can move fast. We're in hyper growth. We're over 2.5 million users around right. the world now. I think we're in 27 countries. Um, wow, like it's, it's just going that's ballistic. That's three years, isn't it? Three years you're going, so 27 countries. Yep. So what's the benefit of having a global bank though? I think from a product perspective, Mm. the way that we look at things is that we're building products for humans Mm. and humans are global, right? So what we know from user research is that the problems that people have with finance and and what they feel about financial products is very similar all over the Mm. world. And it doesn't matter if you're in Sweden or you're in South Africa or you're in Australia. Yeah, Um, Those problems are the same and people feel confused and they lack confidence in what's going on and they want it to be easier and simpler, but they don't know how. So what makes N26 different to a traditional bank? What I like about N26 and why I joined is that they're not trying to put a traditional bank into an app, Mm. which I think a lot of people are doing. It's easy Mm. to make the traditional bank digital. Yeah. What's really difficult and what we spend a lot of time doing is thinking about the problems that people have today and solving them for today and tomorrow. Yeah. So a good example, sharing. Sharing money? Sharing anything? Sharing anything. Right? This is a super emotional and important topic to people. Sharing mm. a bank account with someone is a, is a highly emotive decision to yeah. make and we should treat it as such. But interestingly, sharing in a bank account capacity has traditionally been this joint account concept. Mm. But how archaic is that, right? A man and a woman get married. Or a man and a man. Well, traditionally, it's it's not been, right? I guarantee you there are countries that a man and a man can't get. Absolutely. I'm probably showing my, my naivety here. I mean, I think that we need to bring these solutions to the 21st century. Mm. And also it's not just about a man and a man, a woman and a woman, a man and a woman. What about if you're not married? Yeah. What about if you have six housemates? Yeah. Or, you know, you're going traveling for two years with three friends. Those are the people that you want to share the bank account with. Yeah. And I think it's naive to think that sharing is restricted to one-to-one. Yeah. Um, or even just that single use case. Yeah. And so really if you think about sharing, what we want to do is make sure that sharing is flexible, Mm. right? And this is where the the tech platform mindset comes in rather than the bank mindset. Yeah. Because we try and take the problem and the problem is I want to share my money with someone Mm. or I want someone or multiple people to have access to my money. The problem isn't I want a joint bank account. Yeah. Joint bank account is a solution. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. And I think that that's really what makes us different yeah. is the way that we think about things. And because we apply that really 
product and tech driven mindset to solving these things, you get a very different outcome than a traditional banking institution would get. So would it be fair to say it's it's how you approach problem solving? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a, a summary. It's the mindset and the DNA level. Yeah, because it's questioning, right? So we yeah. want to know why. Why is that a problem for you? And yeah. why is it important to you? Yeah. I'd love to dive into your your methods and your and your processes of what's going on and how your teams are structured. Yeah. So say a problem like sharing. Mm-hmm. Without going into too much detail, maybe, maybe not. That's something you, you've looked at mm-hmm. in N26. How did you tackle that problem? So this is an interesting one. I mean, we don't have sharing currently at the moment. We're building it. Right. And the way that we, I mean, this is a big thing, right? The, the regulatory compliance aspect of sharing, the legal compliance, the power of attorney, it's extensive. And we need to make sure that we cover off all those areas because if we don't then there's no point building something that's cool and flexible yeah right so at the very baseline of everything that we do is making sure that the user trusts us and and should trust us and it's compliant absolutely yeah you know and we take that responsibility very seriously um so there's quite when it comes to products like sharing there's quite a lot of due diligence to be done around that area Mm. and then once we understand the area that we're trying to work in then we move into ideation and trying to problem solve around different ways that we could do this um, from a design point of view. What does that look like? How do Mm. we integrate it? But there is a big element of understanding the requirements and also from a going back to your global bank concept, you know, those requirements are different. In every country. Yeah. I mean, in the EU to the UK to the US and we need to take those into account as well. So we try to build things build it for today but design it so that tomorrow like if we go into South America yeah. uh, next year or this year then we need to make sure that sharing is going to work there as well absolutely yeah so the feature is agnostic to the to the country yeah I want to chat to you a little bit more about designing for trust because mm-hmm. trust is a huge part of the banking concept of the banking model and we touched on it over lunch today a little bit more about how trust is has changed and it's morphed into something different. Yeah. How prevalent is designing for trust in a new bank with a new model and a new approach? It's the only essential thing. Yeah. How have you gone about building trust with people who are like, I guess, you know, you're starting a new um, banking relationship with somebody being N26. Yeah. How do you build that trust? What are the things you need to be aware of to do? One of the things that we did really early on was we picked a problem. And we to solve that problem. And, mm. you know, we're three years old and we're solving it problem by problem by problem. Yeah. So we're not as extensive as a traditional bank would be. We don't yeah. have 57 different products that you can pick. Yeah. But also because it's quite a lot of work to build products that people can trust yeah. as well, especially if you want it to scale across as many countries and people as we have. So you say no a lot. Yeah, we say no a lot. Yeah. So, for instance, when we started, we picked one problem. And one big problem in Europe was that people couldn't sign up to a bank account. Mm. So, people were moving countries. They didn't have a credit score. They didn't have a fixed address yet. They were staying at a mate's house. But they couldn't get paid from their new job until they had a bank account. And there's this chicken and egg scenario, right? I can't get paid, so I can't put the deposit down on my flat. But I can't get a bank account because I don't have an address. And so this was a big problem. Yeah. And this is really the first problem that we solved. So by taking the onboarding journey fully digital Mm. and really 
taking the person's uh, passport and ID and making sure that we touched base from a fraud perspective with the credit provider and there was no like crosses against people's names, making sure that we did the our KYC process really extensively. Yeah. There's a lot of back-end stuff there that we do that no one knows about. But from a user's perspective, they can sign up to N26 in eight minutes. Wow. And so when someone has that experience and you've solved something that's so important to them, that's a very good beginning to building a a relationship of trust. Yeah. That's an amazing case study. Um, Just drilling down into, into the macro of solving those problems. What does your team structure look like at N26? You've got Georgie at the top. Hello. Yep. Hey, I'm crazy George, Australian. Georgie, <laughs> Melbourne Girls School. Um, I, so as I said before, I run design, portfolio and product. Portfolio yeah. is a new thing that we introduced about eight months ago. So the experimentation and... Yeah, we had so many cross-functional, big cross-functional projects that we were yeah. introducing to the organisation. We only have two or three people in that team, but they are really essential in making sure that, for instance, when we launch into the States there's work packages in every single product team and right. every single platform team. Yeah. And so making sure that that is coordinated and we stay on track as far as our goals are concerned. In the design team, we have product design and we have brand design as well. And Christian... Um, Christian Hartling leads that. Yeah. He's phenomenal. He was at Service Design Days last year. Yes, XIDO, ex-Copenhagen Institute of Design. Yeah. I've only heard good things about Christian. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm very lucky to have talented people like that. Yeah. Um, and in the product organization, we're, it's an ever-changing thing. It's interesting. I was looking at some of the presentations that I've seen in the last couple of weeks and I'm always nervous to stand up there and say, this is our structure yeah. and this is great because to be honest, it's constantly changing. Right. And, you know, we're constantly tweaking it and making sure that, you know, we're addressing the needs properly. And mm. if we need a new team because something has become a focus that we want to work on for the next six to 12 months, then we build that team up. Yeah. As we onboard, we're growing incredibly fast. We onboard about 50 engineers a month, um, wow. which has its own challenges. But it also gives us an incredible opportunity as long as we do it right. And right? we need to give people focus and and point them in the right direction and give them the clarity that they need to run really fast. And if we don't give them that clarity, then we just end up with 50 new engineers. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So engineers aside, looking at the design function, yep. what kind of skills are you looking for? Because you're not designing for now, you're designing for the future. Yeah. So what kind of skills do you look for and what, what kind of things are you going after in the market? We want designers that are free thinkers, right? And that really want to push the boundaries as far as just take it that one step further. You know, we're not scared to do something that our customers haven't actually told us that they need. Mm. Because I think that when you're working in a space like this and you have been a pioneer organisation, you you need to constantly push the boundaries. Yeah. And users don't always know what they want next. Yeah. Right? So a good example, four years ago, if you asked anyone if they were ever going to tap a card Mm. to pay for a coffee, they would have said that's ridiculous, it's not safe. No one is going to do that. Let alone your phone. Let alone on your phone or your watch. Yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen in the next two years. Yeah. But those things, you couldn't predict them. Yeah. You couldn't do user research and say, do you know what, someone said, I would really love to tap my phone against a tap device. (laughs) It's funny, I remember years ago, while I was doing work for a bank in Australia 
and we did some uh, early CCD kind of customer centric research. And some of the stuff that came back was, um, so there, it was being videoed and we were watching the videos back. And one of the guys was up the, the coast and I'm doing my level best not to, to do my Australian impression <laughs> here. He was like, um, oh yeah, that, that bank, um, you know, oh, they're the ones that have the little chip. Oh yeah, yeah, my wife uses them. Um, you know, the chip on the back of the phone and, uh, you know, you can actually pay for it with your phone and that chip. Yeah, it's cool. It never works. <laughs> But if it did work, oh man, like, and he was saying it would be amazing. Like, you know, he says that bank is so innovative, right? But it doesn't work. But it didn't work. Okay. <laughs> so I guess what I'm trying to ask is the whole risk when you're releasing stuff. Yeah. How hard is it to restrain yourself from releasing stuff just to be seen? So to give that impression that we're being innovative as opposed to delivering real value. How, yeah. do, you, how do you tackle that? I think... Maybe I'm biased, right? I think it's a little different for us because we don't ship innovative products. Mm. Our products are innovative. So we uh, don't... Come on now. <laughs> I love that. Someone's <sighs> going to quote me one day and I'm going to think, oh my God, I sound like such a tool. That sounds like a tweet. <laughs> Let me put it on the slide. <laughs> um, but when we think about innovation, like I guarantee you I've never said to my team, we need to be more innovative. Yeah. But it's in our DNA how we think mm. about it. So we don't ever think, let's build a joint account. Mm. We always think about the problem. So the concept of of shipping an innovative product and it not resonating doesn't happen because, you know, when we shipped Spaces, for instance, which is a sub-account by all intensive purposes, mm. in a traditional bank you have multiple accounts and you – put different money for different things in yeah. different accounts. But when we did the user research, we found that that wasn't what was important to people. They just wanted a contextual place for what they were thinking about. So, But the outcome would have been reassurance and certainty for the future. Absolutely. And knowing that, you know, if they're saving for their holiday in Bali, they're, you know, 20% off their goal. And yes, I remember I didn't put that money in the account last month. I should put double in this month Yeah, to stay on track for what I wanted to achieve. And I guess that goes back to building trust. Absolutely. I mean, it's got your back. Exactly. Yeah. But also with the trust part is that you are in control of it. So with spaces for us, you can click a plus button and you've got a sub account in an instant. And that's also going back to one of my earlier points. Is it safe to say that control... And giving the customer, or I don't like using the word user, mm -hmm. give them control. Is that one of the principles at N26? Yeah, we call it self-orientation. Self-orientation, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, But I think that it's the only way to build trust, true trust. Yeah. Right? Because it's about, and I, we spoke about this earlier, really, mm. trust is trust. It's not different when you're going on a date or oh, meeting yeah. a new friend or getting a new bank. Right? It, it's the same. And the best dates go well when you feel like you were yourself yeah. and you were confident and the person turned up on time, they were who they said they were and you were you. Mm. And so from a, from a technology perspective and a platform perspective, if a platform can allow you to set up your world the way you need it to be set up, then that, that creates a lot of trust. Yeah. As long as it, Works. It creates a good, yeah, as long as it works and as long as it creates a good fit. Yeah. Yeah, so it morphs into their life as opposed to asking the user or the customer to work around their constructs. Absolutely. You know, so it's, it's really interesting. 
So when we were chatting earlier, we were mentioning about the huge growth spike that you're, you've just entered into in the last three to four months. Yeah. And to give a context for, for the listenership, it was 1 million users four months ago. And now it's at what, 2.4 million? Yeah, well, it was 1 million in August last year and we hit 2.4 at Christmas and now I think we're about 2.6. So three years to get a million wow. and then four months to get the second million. And when this podcast goes out, you'll probably be about 10 million because, you know. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah. So how are you handling that scale? What have you had to do differently? Oh, everything. Yeah. And, that's, and I think that's the biggest challenge is that as the customers scale, which is fantastic, it means that our product is resonating and, mm. and people are really enjoying what we're doing, which is yeah. fantastic feedback, but everything scales. So You've got new users, CS new, new different scales, types. You know, the, the hits on the transactor scale, mm. you know, our platform needs to scale. The bottom line. The bottom line scales, the costs scale, the people need to scale up because, yeah. you know, there's a lot more customers to service now. Yeah. Those customers to service now is what I'm really interested in because yeah. I guess, um, and we spoke a little bit more about my attempt to get an N26 and it failed. Yeah. But we're going to chat more about the early adopters that will have adopted N26 and then it morphs into the whole kind of, you know, the, the mums and pops kind yeah. of, um, it's built the trust in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, the early adopters have told their parents that N26 is so much cooler, you can do this. How are you designing for those new wave of new types of customers? Or maybe the old, the older generation who are not so tech savvy. How are you catering to those? So one of the things that is great for those customers with N26 is that we have a very clean product at the moment. So we have, we have an account. Yeah. We have certain features that you can do on that account. It's not too complicated. Mm. So it's very easy to use. But the things that happen when your user base change so, and there's a couple of different ways that it changes. It's from early adopter to the more normal type of customer. So mm. someone who makes a more rational decision, that's a great bank account. It solves a problem that I have. I'm going to get that. Not, this is the cool new app. Yeah. I'd love to sign up. So there's those two types of customers. And then there's also as we go into different markets. So we were yeah. a European bank and in 24 European markets. And then we entered into the UK, which is a very different market. The Europe market is more traditional. Yeah, There aren't as many competitors in the space. Um, There are still some very strong competitors like Revolut and other things like Klarna. Um, So people are used to digital, but Mm. in the UK, you know, people have Revolut, N26 and Monzo all on their iPhone at the same time. And Klarna. Yeah, and Klarna, yeah. absolutely, and Santander and something else. Yeah. And so then really it, the game changes because in Europe we've provided the right solution for them and they love it and so they move everything into N26. Yeah. And in the UK and in the US, I will imagine this is only going to be enhanced, it's really what transactions do they do with what product. Yeah. And That's true. You're competing for the sale. You're totally competing for the sale. And I think then that's where what you what matters to each company really comes into effect. Yeah. So what are you for? What do you yeah. stand for? What do you want to do? And I think we're very clear that we want to be the everyday bank. Yeah. We're not thinking about crypto. We're not thinking about anything that's that on that extreme side of things, which probably would play to our early adopter yeah. market. So with, with all those new um, other financial apps like Revolut and so forth, 
you're competing for that sale, yeah. that, that interaction, that, yeah, that, the that transaction touch point for the services on term. How do you avoid the sameness? Because like there's there's a liquid expectation there across those ecosystems. So like mm. you you might be competing with an Airbnb in terms of like um, experiences. Yeah. How do you avoid that? It's about having a really strong company purpose. Yeah. It was interesting a couple of months ago, a journalist asked me, you know, what I thought about other companies copying products. Mm. And the reality is if we're all talking to our users, we all know what the problems are, right? And so there's going to be some fundamental similarities. Yeah. But if you're very clear on what your company's purpose is, then you stick to your company's purpose and really what our competitors are doing, you know, if they're providing similar solutions and we can solve more problems for people, that's fantastic. Yeah. At N26, we're really about solving the daily problems that a user has. Yeah. And those are things like we send a push notification for every transaction that you get. Yeah, it was really interesting. Like Georgie, we were chatting earlier on today at lunch and the notification screen that Georgie on her phone had, it was like an activity feed of purchases. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying you're you're a constant shopper, but like there was, def- <laughs> there was definitely a lot of transactions today. Um, <laughs> but it was really interesting. You made a really, really interesting point around the speed of that notification getting delivered to the user and how it increases certainty. And suddenly the, the device and the notification mechanism becomes a source of truth. Yeah. So you gave an instance of when you made a purchase at a shop and maybe you finish the story, yeah. it's your story. You're at the point of sale and you, you know, Apple Pay or you use your N26 card and I got a notification before the terminal says it's been approved. Yeah. Which is phenomenal. It's fantastic. And also it's come in really handy. It's not something I ever knew that I wanted or needed. In fact, if you asked me if I wanted a notification for all of my transactions, I would say that just sounds like noise. But in that instance, you said to me that at one point a store had said, oh, that didn't go through. Yep. And you're like, well, no, it has. has. And you showed my notification. Yep. So what may have been perceived, like if that had gone through user testing Mm -hmm. and they're like, we're going to send you a notification for every purchase you make, users would be like, I don't want that. Yeah, no, that's, that's I turn notifications off. Yeah, they they would say that. But in this instance, you've turned a negative into a a positive, a negative into a puzzy. Yeah, absolutely. As the Aussies would say. Yeah, we shorten everything. (laughs) I think that what it does, what it did for me, and and certainly for a large portion of our customers, is it's it's a new trust point. Yeah. Right? It's not something that I thought would enhance my trust of the product, but it did. And that's kind of that pioneer level. Really, really interesting stuff. Georgie, we're coming towards the end of the conversation, right? And as I mentioned to you, I've got three questions that I always ask our, our guests. And the first one is, what is the one thing that you wish you were able to banish from the industry? And not the financial industry, more like the design and product industry. I really don't like this concept of someone has all the answers. Mm. So one of the things moving into the CPO role was really interesting for me is people often come to me with a question and they expect me to have the answer. And I think I've almost overtrained myself because of what I said before, but I would much rather have a discussion. And I think as an industry, we need to be more open and transparent. We're very closed. It's a very competitive space. There's lots of VC money on the line a lot of the time, but we can help each other. Yeah, You know, I've had some fantastic conversations in the last couple of weeks with CPOs of other organizations. Some have been very open to 
discuss challenges that we're having as an organisation. And we're all the same. Yeah. Right? We're all trying to grow really fast. If we're successful, we're trying to grow even faster. Yeah. And these aren't commercially confident conversations. They're yeah. just, how do you tackle this? Yeah. And every time I've, I've had a conversation with someone who's been open to it, we've both learnt from it. Yeah. And by sharing different things, you say, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I could try that or maybe I could tweak it and try it a different way. Yeah. So I would like us to be more open as an industry. Okay, that's good. The next question is, what is the one professional skill that you wish you were better at? I wish that the polish came. Sometimes I think I wish I could be more polished or professional, but no, then at the Georgie. same time that is not me. And I think that, that one of the things when I realised that the way for me to succeed or to do what I want to do with my career is to just embrace who I am. Yeah. Even though sometimes I do wish that, you know, my eyebrows were plucked a bit more smoothly or, <laughs> or something like that. You know, I, I'm me and I think that I can add an enormous amount to this industry. Yeah. And I can do it as me. I don't need to be anything else. Excellent. So. It's a great message for everyone. Uh, and the last question is, what is the message you like to give to emerging design and product talent for the future? Oh, get as much experience as you can. In what? In anything. In anything. In anything. Try different things. Push the boundaries. If you're stuck, go traveling. Try and get as many different life experiences, career experiences. You don't need to quit your job to do this. You can mm. say, hey, if you're a designer and you want to move into product, ask if you can do some of the backlog writing for the yeah. design stuff that you're working on. If you're a product owner and you want to be a software guy, just ask for some more stuff and, and take it on and do it after hours and get as many experiences as you can because especially for product, yeah, right, those experiences are the richness that make you a better product manager yeah. in the end. And a more interesting person. Absolutely. Which is the same for service design and UX and all types of design, just to chime in there as well. Yeah. Be an interesting person. Georgie, it was fantastic speaking with you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was an absolute pleasure. So there you have it. Thanks for listening to Bringing Design Closer. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the This Is HCD network, feel free to visit thisishcd.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter or join our Slack channel where you can connect with other human-centered design practitioners around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>